Yankees Files Podcast. We are back. I'm Will Harris. You're Alec Whipple. The rest of you aren't either of us, but we do appreciate you listening. It was really a tough week for the Yankees. They went one and five. They lost two games to the Blue Jays. They got swept by the Tigers in what I can't help but feel might have been a little bit of a punt series. And um, generally, things are going pretty poorly. Whipple, what are your thoughts on this pretty mediocre week? Yeah, I think it's summed up best by a uh, Sweeney Murdy tweet I caught last night. He said, when the Yankees are doing well, it looks like they're never going to lose again. And when the Yankees are doing poorly, it looks like they're never going to win again. And last week, we couldn't help but gush over how it looked like this team was unstoppable. They went 6-1. and one. They had the no-hitter thrown. One week later, it looks like this is the worst team in the league again, going 1-5 and five against two teams that they, as we said last week, they should have been expected to beat. Um, it's just that I think... What happened this week is the pitching took a step backwards and the hitting took two steps backwards. And when you don't hit well and you don't pitch well and you lose some key players to injuries, that's just not what you want. Yeah, you know, Whipple, I think you're exactly right. And uh, it's probably worth us talking a little bit about those injuries before we get into the recaps. Um, You know, turns out Aaron Hicks is out for the season. Luke Voigt returns for a little bit. And he's now out a few weeks with an oblique strain. Um, Justin Wilson, as much as I don't really like seeing him pitch in any games for the Yankees, is now also hurt and thins out the bullpen. Um, you know, this team can't really afford to have guys getting hurt the way they're playing. Do you see them making a move, bringing up Chris Gittens, trading for a center fielder? Like... I, I've begun to believe that something needs to change, um, and I, I don't normally feel that way, but we're not getting the 2019 level of production out of the backups, and I'm now worried that, you know, without uh, Cattell Marte or David Peralta or Starling Marte or Joey Gallo or a real solution at first base that, you know, we could be watching something that I don't want to be watching. Yeah, I, I completely agree. And I think the thing that we've kind of all been annoyed at in the last two years is that the Yankees have not made that corresponding move at the deadline. In 2019, they traded for Edwin Encarnacion, but failed to address the issues in their starting rotation. And then last year, they didn't trade for anyone substantial. And the Cashman's favorite line is uh, the, the guys returning from injuries. It's as good as making a trade. And everyone's rolled their eyes because guys coming back from injuries, you don't really know what you're going to get. Uh, I think, unfortunately, we might be in for a little bit of that with the starting rotation this year due to Luis Severino and Corey Kluber, who are both would be fabulous additions, but are both going to be coming off some uh, pretty scary injuries with the shoulder and Tommy John surgery. And so I think we might be uh, in a bit of a holding power with the starting rotation. I do think that they're going to trade for an outfielder. And I think Aaron Hicks being out for the year definitively actually helps in that regard because there is no outfielder coming. Brian Cashman's going to have to make a move. And really, they should trade for an outfielder regardless of Aaron Hicks' status just because Clint Frazier's been so underwhelming and they don't have a lefty bat. And um, even Aaron Hicks, when healthy, wasn't doing that well. But I think the fact that Hicks is out for the year, you know he's not coming back. You literally are playing Tyler Wade every other day in center field. I mean, like, that is absolutely ridiculous. Tyler Wade should be a rarely used infielder. Brett Gardner doesn't have it at this point. They're going to have to trade for an outfielder, and they need an impact bat in this lineup. This lineup is not the same lineup we've seen the last few years. And um, guys aren't healthy, but some guys just aren't hitting. And eventually, if you just sit back and let that, you know, let it go by, say we're going to turn it around. Um, You've seen this week, they're losing too much ground. I know it's only June, but the more games you have to make up, the more... uh, challenging your task becomes so yes I agree I think we're I think we're going to see a trade for an outfielder um, and I think they should trade for a pitcher because as we've seen you don't know what's going to happen with uh, Corey Kluber or Luis Severino or any of the other guys who are equal injury risks and god forbid something happened to Garrett Cole um, that you just you don't know what you're going to get sometimes don't even put that out into the I, I, I I'll take it back I'm sorry I even said that um but the fact is, this team needs a few pieces because something is not working. You know, Whipple, I think you're spot on. Uh, and 
that's something that our listeners will hear later in the inaugural edition of a segment we like to call Dad Take or Bad Take, in which my dad outlined that depending on the pitching to be elite and not hitting at all is no way to no way to go through this season. And as you know, certain pitchers get hurt and certain hitters aren't producing, certain hitters get hurt, you know, you haven't put together a recipe for success. So we need to see this team make some moves now. Um, as a as a Clint Frazier defender, I think um, it's imperative that I note that in his last seven games, he's hitting 320. Um, his OPS in that time is only 706 because, like Miguel Andujar, he forgot how to slug even when he hits for average. But I won't hold that against him. Go Clint. Uh, Whipple, you know it wouldn't be the Yankees Files podcast if we didn't. Um, at least make some effort to go over the games of the week. The Yankees went one and five. They played the Blue Jays and Tigers. Um, you wrote what I thought was a very good recap of the Blue Jays series, especially since it came before we knew how badly this week was going to go. Uh, what can you tell us about that series? Yeah, so the series, I think um, it was they, they lost two out of three, obviously. I think the series was colored by the injuries to Kluber and Voigt, and those all kind of came at the same time on Tuesday and really put a, a cast a shadow over the rest of the week. But there were, there were games that were played, and um, one of them was better for the Yankees than the other two. But let's start with the first game. Um, in that game... The Corey Kluber making his follow-up start from the no-hitter uh, lasted three innings. He didn't have the same command, obviously, as the no-hitter. He walked three guys, gave up a long two-run homer to Vlad Guerrero. He just didn't look himself. And then in the fourth inning, uh, we saw Boone frantically called to the bullpen. We saw Michael King getting warmed up in a hurry. And then we saw Corey Kluber walk down the tunnel. And every Yankees fan knew something was wrong. Uh, what were you thinking when that happened to Kluber? I was thinking... Remember the time when Aroldis Chapman had to come out of the game because he had to poop? That that I do remember that. Uh, unfortunately, that was not what happened. But um, uh, I was thinking, I hope that's what's happening to Corey Kluber because, as much as uh, you know, as much as I'm kind of joking about that, uh, Corey Kluber was becoming a key part of this rotation. He was beginning to go deep into games he was gaining his control back uh he was gaining some velocity and then in this game we kind of saw him revert to early April Kluber he didn't have great control he wasn't putting guys away he gave up a couple of home runs um or was it just the one to Guerrero either way um he gave up some runs and um you know, it, it looked like he had taken some steps back and reversed some of the progress that he had made, which which made it very clear that there was there was an injury. Um, but my gosh, seeing Michael King just frantically warming up in the bullpen was like the worst sign ever. Um, and it was just so disheartening when you felt like pitching was the strength of this team and Kluber was a big part of the reason that you felt that way. It was really tough. Yeah, and it was, I mean, literally the start after his no-hitter. Like, we we went from the highest of highs with Kluber to the lowest of lows. And we learned after the game that Kluber said his shoulder felt heavy, couldn't get loose. And then he, he took himself out of the game to play it safe. So I think there was, at least in my mind, a little bit of like, okay, maybe it's not as bad as we think. He... He said it didn't feel like last year when he uh, suffered a right shoulder tear. So we, we were a little optimistic. And then on Tuesday, we learned that it was a shoulder strain. Um, he will miss a minimum of two months. And the latest news is that he's getting a dye contrast MRI for a second and third opinion. Just all things that you don't want to hear. And uh, you know, as you said, like he, he had reverted back to early April form in this game. But obviously, there was something something going on. And just based on how good he's been, it's a tough loss for the Yankees rotation. I think at this point, the priority is get him back towards the end of the season, ready to pitch in some games. Um, but the fact of the matter is the playoff spot's not guaranteed for the Yankees. And he was absolutely a big part of why they surged back from their poor start at the beginning. 
So Kluber going down is was probably the worst news of the week. Um, just, just as bad was the Yankees' hitting performance in this game. Steven Matz, who's not really that impressive of a pitcher, uh, absolutely dominated the Yankees, struck out 10 in his six innings. And it was just the continuing of a trend of mediocre pitchers um, looking better against the Yankees because they're missing hittable pitches in the zone. They're swinging at the bad pitches, letting good pitches go by, and just not making that great of contact. Like, when you're hitting a few home runs a game, but, you know, you're not—we're like, not asking them to get, like, 20 hits a game, but when you're getting five hits a game and they're five singles or five singles and a double versus five hits and three of them are home runs— your, your final offensive line looks a little bit different. Um, so just, it, it's a th- it'll be a theme of the week, and I don't want to belabor the point by going into the Yankees' offenses and hitting, Yankees' offenses and hitting, why are they so bad? But, like, let's have the offensive conversation right now. Um, and I know you've tweeted about guys not being healthy, and this isn't the team we've put together. But the fact is, they, they're playing a lot of games. Their best guys are playing a lot of games. And aside from Judge um, and Urshela at times, and Stanton when he's healthy, nobody's really having like a standout season. It seems like guys have either stagnated or gone backwards. Even guys like DJ LeMahieu who aren't doing that terrible are just not hitting for power with the same kind of consistency. Um, and then to say nothing of the times this team grounds into double plays or gets out on the bases. So what's your general offensive take? Are you super worried? Are you in the position of like these guys have to get better? Or are you thinking this is acceptable? Well, what I'm concerned about is the fact that this team doesn't slug. They are 24th now in the league in slugging. DJ LeMayhew's slugging percentage is down. <laughs> this is, doesn't even seem like a real stat. DJ LeMayhew is slugging 346 this year. He slugged 590 last year. His slugging percentage is down 244 points. In... 2019 he slugged 518 um he's slugging 346 right now Gio Urshela is slugging 405 he slugged 490 last year and 534 in 2019 uh Clint Frazier another guy who's not slugging now Clint Frazier isn't hitting for average in the same way that Judge and Gio are but Clint Frazier slugged 511 in 2020, 489 in 2019, and 289 this year. I mean, everyone, with the exception of Aaron Judge, basically, is slugging significantly worse than they ever have in their career. I was uh, talking to my dad the other day, and I said, this is a team of singles hitters and Aaron Judge. And that's just simply no way to win baseball games right now it's too hard to get hits uh with the high spin deadened ball um and it's uh and when you just have guys hitting singles you're not going to string together the hits that you need to score runs I mean this is why they load the bases and ground into double plays uh on top of that I'll get the uh the updated stats but as of the other day the Yankees were, I think, 20... I'll get the updated stats right now. The What I'm getting at is they don't hit the ball in the air at all. The Yankees, the best kind of contact to make, the best kind of ball to hit is a line drive. The Yankees are 28th in line drive rate. The kind of ball that becomes a home run uh, a lot is... A fly ball. The Yankees are 20th in fly ball rate. The Yankees are 6th in ground ball rate. Ground balls become double plays and outs. Line drives and fly balls become home runs. The Yankees are hitting the ball in a way that turns into double plays and outs. And ground balls also don't don't turn into doubles or triples. They don't just not turn into home runs. And that's what I'm concerned about. The Yankees have a bunch of guys who hit the ball on the ground and don't hit it hard enough to consistently get it past infielders because that's an incredibly difficult thing to do. And they need to slug. And there's not a lot out there to suggest to me that they're going to slug. And I don't know if they're particularly victimized by the deadened ball or if it's something else like earlier in the year when I thought they were approaching at-bats trying to hit the ball on the ground. But I'm concerned about that. Like... 
we've kind of had what might be a big enough sample now of guys not slugging to start worrying about guys not slugging. Yeah, and I think the bottom line is they're not going to win if they don't hit. Brian Cashman did not put this team together to be a pitching and defense team. It's, if you look at the offensive profiles, they're not speedy guys. They're station-to-station guys. Their base running issues come from the fact that they're probably more used to just you know taking taking a lap after they hit a home run than playing singles and doubles uh, offensive rallies. And th- this team isn't going to win. I mean, we all love the pitching doing well and we love winning the close games but they need to hit to win and like you said like the sample is big enough now where it's very concerning um and i think things we could write off earlier in the year we just can't write off anymore and they keep having games like this week i mean multiple games this week it's the same story they get thrown out on the bases they ground into double plays they're stranding guys but the thing is like we didn't count on them being a team that needed to do all those things we counted on them being a team that could just hit home runs and not that that's all they were going to do, but that's a big part of their game. And I'm sorry to say, if they can't figure it out, I don't see this team having the kind of success that they want to have. And I know, again, like last week, we were very optimistic. And this isn't a complete walk back of being optimistic. It's a reality check because the team, if they're not going to pitch on an absolutely elite level, this team just isn't going to win the games that they need to win. And I think, um, you know, in any of these games, we can re- talk about the same points over and over again. But what Will just said, those those stats, they're very telling, and they need to change, and they need to change quickly um, based on the important games they have coming up. So, Yeah, and I mean, the the other thing that I want to point out is it would be very easy for this season to feel very different. Um, You know, the Yankees have lost a bunch of games in which they've given up four runs or fewer. Uh, They've hit 61 home runs, which is above average for the league. It's more than the Padres have hit. It's more than the White Sox have hit. You know, it's far more than the Mets have hit, their first place team. There are teams that are good that have a different offensive profile than the Yankees um you know they're only separated in batting average by like nine points from the Padres that's that's not a ton um and they have more home runs a a problem I have with the Yankees is that even though they kind of put guys on base they're they're in fact above average um in on base percentage in the league um they don't hit home runs with guys on base. They have 61 home runs this year, and 43 of them are solo. Imagine if only 50% of them were solo home runs. Imagine if, like, uh, it's it's astonishing how much more offensive production this team could have if their home runs would have just come with people on base, and we would feel very different about them. Like, early in the season when they were going 5-10, and 10, they hit a lot of garbage time home runs. Like Stanton would come up in an eight nothing game and hit a home run, uh, and it would be like, okay, it's eight to one now, and we're still gonna lose. Um, I think you know maybe. I I don't know what it is. I think part of it is that Aaron Judge doesn't come up with guys on base, and he needs to be hitting higher in the lineup. Like the whole Aaron Judge needs to hit third because Giancarlo Stanton likes to hit second thing needs to go away. But the other thing with that, which I completely agree, the other thing with that is that Judge was hitting second, then they moved Stanton up to second because obviously Stanton was crushing the ball for a few weeks. Stan went out. Judge did not go back to second. We had Odor second. We had Gardner second. We had everybody second. They just, and I don't get what that is. I don't get why Boone was like, okay, like Judge, like did he think that worked better? It worked better when Stanton was there, but all of a sudden Judge is now hitting third and we're just, forgetting about the fact that he works better as a, a second hitter yeah it's it's heinous and I know that like judge said when he started hitting third and Stanton started hitting second that he had been lobbying to hit third in the past and you know he wanted to be doing it and whatever but I don't know I I'm not gonna just because Aaron judge wants something I'm not gonna do the thing that brings him to the plate less when he's you know in the MVP conversation. Funny enough, I want to get that guy more at bats. And look, Whipple, I think we might need to reel it back in here. We've gone pretty far afield. Um, after 
the Corey Kluber injury game, which was terrible. Uh, they had the first rain out of the year the next day, which was also terrible. Um, followed by the first Manfred Ball doubleheader of the year, which itself was pretty bad because in the first game, your namesake, Alec Manoa, made his Major League debut and shut them down. Yeah, it was another another game of offensive ineptitude for the Yankees. Manoa pitched well, and um, like I said in the preview, you know, there's I, I respect anyone playing Major League Baseball or any other sport with the name Alec. Or it's a, a close-knit group. We have to stick together. Um, other luminaries like Alec Bohm on the Phillies or Alec Mills of the, the Cubs. Um, you know, we all, we're, we're a tight-knit group. Um, th- that being said, that the Yankees... All they had to do was score a few runs because Herman pitched so well. He just gave up a few uh, solo home runs, but they ended up losing the game 2-0. I think it was another encouraging outing for Herman. He gives up the home runs sometimes. We know that. But he, he limited the damage again. Still hasn't given up more than three runs since he's been recalled from the alternate site. So, you know, an, another great performance by a Yankees pitcher and wasted because the offense couldn't scratch across anything more than a few Miguel and Duhar singles. Um, but thankfully, the Yankees came back and did a lot better in the nightcap um, for their one win of the week. So we should talk about some of the the highlights from that. Uh, Jordan Montgomery didn't pitch so well following up his uh, great outing against the White Sox with uh, an in- another inconsistent outing against the Blue Jays. Uh, Bo Bichette, who is becoming a Yankees killer, unfortunately, tagged him for yeah, a two-run home run. Yeah, a few too many Yankees killers on the Blue Jays and the Rays, as I noted in my preview, which just went online. So you should all check out YankeesFiles.com and read that for uh, this afternoon's series preview of the Rays-Yankees series. But um, anyway, the the Yankees' uh, offensive stars in the, their one win of the week were Gary Sanchez and Aaron Judge, uh, unsurprisingly. So yeah, I'm going to throw it over to you here. Let's get some hot carry summer takes. That's that's what I, that's what I was going for. I know it's Memorial Day, which is the official start of summer, but I think last uh, Thursday may have been the official start of hot Gary. Gary summer. summer, our favorite tagline on the podcast, and and Gary Sanchez saw the Aaron Judge's four hundred forty foot home run, and he stepped up and hit an even longer one, four hundred forty four feet. And as we were just saying, this connects back because the Yankees won five to three. They didn't hit an overwhelming amount of, they didn't get an overwhelming amount of hits, but they had two big home runs, and that's more of a blueprint we've seen from them that works. It's funny how when you get the hits that guarantee you runs, you score more runs than when you just hit singles. Um, So official start of Hot Gary Summer, Gary Sanchez in his last four games over this Memorial Day weekend is hitting 500, 583, 800 for a 1.383 OPS. His... Season average is up over 200. He's getting on base at a 326 clip. His OPS is higher than DJ LeMahieu's and Glaber Torres. It is time for us to remember that Gary Sanchez is an elite hitter in Whipple. Just one thing I want to say about the Jordan Montgomery outing is he was so, so close to, uh, to a good outing. I mean, he, he definitely threw a lot of pitches um early in the game but in that third inning when Bichette got him for the homer and I've been thinking about this a lot he got two outs on a double play uh a a really nice double play uh where Jonathan Davis lined out to Gio and Santiago Espinal had been um running on the play so they were able to double him up uh he walked two guys with two outs and had to face Bichette, and they were the eight and nine hitters, or sorry, the nine and one hitters. You cannot walk those guys with two outs. He could have gotten out of the third with no runs, and then when he got himself, um, when he got himself into trouble and allowed another two out base runner in the fifth, he probably could have finished the inning. Um, you cannot be walking people with two outs and that's the difference in this game and even though the Yankees won and you know Monty obviously did enough to keep them in the game uh and Aaron Judge of course hit a uh two-run home run which is very good but um Aaron Judge he's good he's good uh even though 
Monty did enough to keep them in the game. Like, this could have been a great start if he would just not have allowed two out base runners. So, like, I I might be more encouraged by some of the stuff I saw from Monty in this game than you necessarily are. But, like, the two out walk stuff is really inexcusable. Yeah, and it's just, I mean, I, I agree it could have been a better start. It's just frustrating because we know what a great start looks like from him. And he's really alternating good and bad starts at this point. Um, and. Mm-hmm. With Kluber down, he's just going to need to be a bigger piece in this rotation. So um, yeah, that's have, absolutely true. He'll have a lot of run. You know, he they're they're not um they're not going to pull him for any reason. He's got all the opportunity in the world. So um we, we know what the good Monty is, and we know how close he comes. You know, even in his bad starts. So we'll we'll be looking for that um, this week and in the future. Um, so I think yeah, I think those were the the big highlights of the the week from that one game. Um, I know it's tough. I know it's painful, but we do have to um, discuss the fact that even though we'd like to pretend it didn't happen, the Yankees did go to Detroit this weekend and played some baseball. Um, I, I I don't really have anything more to say than that. Um, why don't you, you take the lead on this one? So Whipple, um, I think the only thing you really need to know about this is that I'm now dead inside. Um you can't get swept by the Tigers. I don't care if the last six pitchers out of your bullpen or the last six pitchers that you use in the series are Justin Wilson, Davey Garcia, Albert Abreu, Mike King, Nestor Cortez Jr., who is back, and Nick Nelson. Um, You can't get swept by the Tigers. They did a lot of stuff in this series after the Cole game that would indicate that it was a punt series. But when you lose the first game, maybe you should kind of sell out to win the next one. And when you lose the second game, maybe you should kind of sell out to win the third. And I never got an indication that that's what they were doing. Um, But I think what we really learned from this game is that um, it's a good thing that we've identified the best way to call balls and strikes, and that's to have, like, old guys or middle-aged guys... um, just kind of looking over the catcher's shoulder and guessing whether a pitch was a ball or a strike. Um, and then, uh, you know, it's it's just good that we found the most accurate way and that that's what it is because you might think that, like, those guys would have a tendency to get calls wrong and that it would affect the outcomes of games. But, like, I'm glad that we've seen that that doesn't happen. And even if it were happening, like... We don't have the technology or a better solution that would, you know, always call a ball or strike correctly. So it's kind of a pipe dream what I'm talking about. But I'm just really glad that uh, human umpires always get every call right. And that as a result, um, you know, the there's always perfect integrity to the outcomes of these games. Yeah. And um, what you're obviously referring to is the missed third strike call on the last play of um, Friday's game, which turned a Yankees win into a Tigers win because Robbie Grossman had another pitch hit a walk off home run. And yeah, it's I mean, we've seen we've seen it with baseball. We There's the, the obvious solution versus the imperfect solution that baseball and Rob Manfred thinks is going to be better. Uh, you know, he he's chosen to address controversies quote-unquote such as extra innings being too long or uh, double headers needing to be shorter and he he failed to address things like the offense is down in the game because we're changing the baseball and balls and strikes are you know arbitrarily called and there's no avenue of recourse it's it's just frustrating sometimes I know it's when it affects your team you you know you, you like it when it helps you don't like it when it hurts but objectively it's bad like I think that's all you can say it's terrible. We have the ability to be right about everything. And we make these silly rules about when you can use replay and when you can't. And we make silly rules about when, um, you know, having to defer to the call on the field. And we make silly rules about not being able to argue balls and strikes. We wouldn't have to argue balls and strikes if they were simply always called correctly. And we have the technology to always call them correctly. And look, I didn't want Justin Wilson in that game. I wanted Jonathan Lewisaga in that game, even if he wasn't like truly available based on, you know, having thrown a number of pitches the day before. Um, and I do blame Justin Wilson partially for not just walking Grossman. Um, 
with a base open there and instead throwing a pitch right over the heart of the plate. But I'm I also think I also think Justin Wilson has some uh, blame to share because he went on the disabled list the next day with a hamstring strain. And unless he strained his hamstring on the very last pitch of the game, he was pitching hurt and he didn't tell anyone or he thought it was, you know, I, I again, that doesn't mean that like that was the reason he gave up the home run. But Justin Wilson knew he wasn't 100% and he chose to pitch anyway. I know that's a sports mentality, but there is some level of, okay, maybe you shouldn't have been pitching. Yeah, if you, if you aren't the guy that the team thinks you are going out there, you bear the responsibility of saying, hey, um, you know, I can't give you what you think I can give you today. And if you still want to put me out there, that's fine. And we got no indication that that's what happened with Justin Wilson. We got no indication that it's not just a phantom IL stint. And I think we'll see how long he's out for and how that all manifests itself. And look, Whipple, the last two games, I'm not even that interested in talking about. I'll be fully honest with you. The Yankees lost 6-1 and 6-2. The series ended on a very poetic Aaron Judge strikeout looking with the, you know, as the tying run at the plate. Um, There were some base running miscues, um, notably by Gary Sanchez. The defense completely let Davey Garcia down. Davey Garcia's FIP in his start was 3.12, and his ERA in his start was over 8 because Rugnet Odor couldn't just flip the ball to second base. I mean, I am... I try not to overreact to the defense, but when they have a five runs per nine innings effect on Davey Garcia, whom I love, uh, we just can't have that. When you're when you're not playing offense, and I'm now getting into like extreme Yankee fan on Twitter territory, when you're not playing offense, defense becomes even more important, and this defense was terrible. Yeah, and it's just the same stuff we've seen all year. I know they've had stretches where they've looked better, but they've had stretches where they look really bad, and that's just not, you know, it's a long season. Like, this is not something that's characteristic of the Yankees, and I don't know what it is. I, You know, I don't know if it's, you know, we're punting the series and we're already going to lose, so, like, let's not worry about it. But I don't I don't know why this team decides to play like this sometimes. And defenses. You know, you don't have to do anything more than just make the make the plays cleanly, and they can't even do that. Um, one one other thing I quickly wanted to touch on was that last at bat that you described because I think it was it's very indicative of the Yankees' offensive issues right now. We had Aaron Judge in as the tying run, and again, Aaron Judge is not the problem. I am not saying he's the problem, but he swung at ball one out of the zone. He swung at ball two out of the zone. He left ball three, which is really ball one because he swung at the first two go, and then he let strike three right down the top of the zone, let it go. And that's the problem. They're swinging at bad pitches and they're letting good pitches go by. And again, Aaron Judge, not the problem. But I just thought that at bat encapsulated a lot of what we've seen from this team and why we're so frustrated with the offense. Yeah, it was uh, it was what we would call truly awful. Um, so Whipple, I think, um, you know, we may have some listeners who come here from our Twitter account at Yankees Files or, uh, you know, have just found our podcast. Um, and I think it's worth us just doing a little review of what people could find on YankeesFiles.com this week since our last podcast. So as you mentioned earlier, you have a preview up this morning, Monday morning, of this upcoming really big series with the Rays, who are now in first place in the American League East. We have um, a recap of the Tiger series that, you know, I'd like people to read, but may not be the most fun. We have your recurring piece, The Hot Corner with Alex Rodriguez, in which we keep up with the most interesting man in the world. We have uh, an analytics piece that I wrote last week about how Aroldis Chapman is quietly having an historic season in which he's on pace to break a number of single season pitching records. Uh, And we'll have more coming this week. So, you know, we... We recommend that everyone keep up with us at yankeesfiles.com and at yankeesfiles on Twitter. So, Whipple, as as I've mentioned a couple times today, we have a brand new segment that we're debuting this week. And it's a segment that we like to call Dad Take or Bad Take, in which one of our dads comes on the podcast and offers his takes about the Yankees and the state of baseball. So this week it was my dad 
And without any further ado, let's go to the inaugural edition of Dad Take or Bad Take. For the inaugural edition of Dad Take or Bad Take, I'd like to welcome on my dad. Dad, welcome. Uh, can you just tell us a little bit about, first of all, you know, who you are, your experience as a baseball fan over the years of your life, and um, you know, kind of how you're feeling today about this Yankees team? Sure, Will. Thank you for having me. First of all, I am 56 years old, the uh, son of a Yankee fan, the grandson of uh, two sides of Yankee fans. My grandfather was an enormous Yankee fan, and he taught me to love the Yankees from a very young age. I think I was probably five years old when I went to Yankee Stadium for the first time. It was the old Yankee Stadium, and we sat up behind home plate, and I had never been up that high in my life. Very nice. And, uh, you know, obviously you have a lot of experience as a Yankee fan. You were raised to be a Yankee fan, as you've told us. Um, how is How has that experience kind of evolved over the course of your life? You know, when you would watch games with your grandfather, generally the Yankees were were pretty bad. Um, and then into your teen years, they became very, very good. There was another kind of leaner period uh, before the dynasty years. We're now in a leaner period. So just, um, you know, I'm interested in your insights as someone who's seen kind of a lot of the ebb and flow of success uh, that the Yankees have had. Any, any color you can offer on that? Sure. And I should say for the audience that I am probably a casual baseball fan. While I am a lifetime Yankee fan, there were many years when I probably didn't watch a single Yankee game, uh, probably between 1978 and 1983 or 1979 and 1983. I probably didn't watch too many games. And then I probably didn't watch too many games until they became good in the late 90s. Uh, but I am a Yankees exceptionalist. My position is the Yankees should always be the best and they should always have the best players. Well, thank you, Dad, because that's a great transition into the first topic that we want to get into on this inaugural edition of Bad Take or Dad Take. Dad Take or Bad Take. Uh, and, and the first question is, who's the best position player on the Yankees? Aaron Judge is the best position player on the Yankees by, I think, a wide margin. That falls into the third category that we hadn't outlined of good take. Aaron Judge, definitely the best position player on the Yankees. And uh, this is an easy one as well, I think, but there may be multiple right answers. Who's the best pitcher on the Yankees, Dad? Well, before yesterday, I would have said Justin Wilson. <laughs> but now I'll say Garrett Cole. Garrett Cole on pace to have one of the best seasons by a starting pitcher of all time. I'll say that's another good take. You started off well here. I'm proud of you. Uh, you know, as someone who watches a lot of games with this guy, um, not all of his takes are this good. So he's he's really started off well. So, um, you know, uh, something we've learned from watching games together is you think I'm a bit of a Yankees apologist. Um, and I think you're sometimes too harsh on the guys. And uh, I'm going to give you an opportunity to be too harsh on some guys here. Who's the worst position player on the Yankees? You see, I could, I'd have to qualify that because uh, there are a number of people. The worst position player by sort of amount you would hope he would play and expectations is Gary Sanchez. The worst position player probably overall is obviously Mike Ford. Uh, the worst might play lots of days position player is probably Brett Gardner. Okay. So, you know, not, not as bad as I expected. Um, we should make you aware that even if you take out Gary Sanchez's 2016 and 2017, he's been better than the average catcher. Um, but I understand you're a Yankees exceptionalist. You'd like them to have the best catcher you've seen. Uh, you know, a number of great catchers play for the Yankees from Thurman Munson to Jorge Posada. Um, and it's it's a position that they've been historically great at. So I, I understand um, you having a little bit of trouble with Gary. I don't think you fully understand the uh, 
the lack of production that comes from the catching position league wide. But, um, you know, with Mike Ford and Brett Gardner, I, I think you nailed it. Brett Gardner, uh, you know, had a lot of productive years, did a lot of stuff well for the Yankees for a long time. But, uh, you know, he's he's not an everyday center fielder. And I think that's something we'll probably get into a little bit later. And yeah, Mike Ford is um, Mike Ford sometimes defies words. So, you know, I'll try to switch back to the positive here. I know it's been a tough season. And for context, uh, we're recording this after a one in five week and uh, the Yankees getting swept by the Tigers. And that's that's pretty tough to see. Um, Who are you most impressed with on the team this year? So I, I think you have to say, Judge, again, uh, from a position player standpoint, uh, I think you have to say Cole from a pitching standpoint. Uh, Kluber, before he got hurt, obviously uh, did some great things. Um, and Chapman is having a fantastic year. So, you know, all those people would have to be in the conversation when you're talking about most impressed with. And, you know, I think that's that's a good sign because you want to be impressed with the team's best players. Uh, because that means they're exceeding the expectations that you had for them to a certain extent. And to see Judge with his average up over 300, contending for the league lead in home runs, leading the team in games played, I mean, that's exactly the kind of stuff you want to see from him. And obviously, Cole this year has become much more the guy that the Yankees thought they were getting. I mean, he was great last year, but he was uh, really hampered by the home run. And then Chapman, as we... Noted in our analytics piece a little while back is you know having a, a truly historic season. So you're really on it with the good takes. I have to say, speaking of exceeding expectations, you are exceeding mine. Um, I have a feeling we might disagree here. Who, which player are you most disappointed with this year? And I have to qualify that because disappointment relates to expectations, and. I'd have to go back to Sanchez. I'm, I'm disappointed with Sanchez. I was disappointed with him last year. I'm disappointed with him again this year. Obviously, there's plenty of disappointment to spread around if you're just talking about bad play, but I think Sanchez ought to play better. So I, I had a feeling we disagree. Of course we do. Um, you may think I'm a Gary Sanchez apologist. Our our readers know we are a Gary Sanchez fan blog. It is, of course, Hot Gary Summer. <laughs> I'm glad glad you got that one. Um, look, I I again I have to go back to first of all, and I know you don't like this. Uh, Gary Sanchez's expected stats are very good. They are in a lot of cases better than DJ Lemayhews, who I might be most disappointed with this year. Um. And, uh, you know, he's he's hitting the ball. He's hitting the ball to the opposite field. We saw him do it a couple times in this Tiger series. I think, um, you know, I hope Gary listens to this. We know he's listening. Um, and I hope that your words motivate him uh, to continue this, this turnaround that he's on. And, and it, it really may be important because with Kluber going down, Kyle Higashioka is only the personal catcher for one guy on this staff. And, uh, you know, if, if Gary can really have a month or so like the Gary Sanchez that we know he can be, that would be a big lift to this team. So speaking of that, it's pretty clear. I'm very optimistic about Gary Sanchez. Who's a player on this team, whether they've been good to this point or not, that you are most optimistic about in the remaining 110 games or so? Well, if he ever plays, I would say I'm optimistic about Voight. Boyd showed us a lot last year. I think he's a big part of this lineup, and I think they miss him when he's not there. So I'm optimistic about him. I'm also optimistic that Stanton will go on another tear, and uh, Stanton and Judge being back to back in the lineup uh, would be a very scary prospect for an opposing team. Really, really couldn't agree more. You know, you need those guys healthy and mashing. And it's, it's such a difference for this lineup when they can both be in there and be as scary as they're supposed to be. Now, unfortunately, we have to ask the companion question, which is, what are you most pessimistic about? Either which player or just what kind of general prospect with this team are you, are you most pessimistic about? I'm most pessimistic, pessimistic about 
the pitching staff continuing to carry this team. They can't be expected to give up no runs or one run or even two runs and, and hold this team together. Uh, the offense has to contribute, and I'm sure we'll talk about that uh, as we go on, but it's not that I think the pitching staff is deficient. I just don't think they can perform well above expectations for an entire season. You know, Dad, I really think you've been on it for this these these first few takes. I think we've had a lot of good takes, a lot of good... I, I don't really feel like we've even ventured into the range of dad takes yet. We, we had a bad take in there about Gary, but, um, you know, I'm really impressed with how you've done with kind of our, our 2020 Yankees uh, portion of this, and we're going to we're gonna shift a little bit. Um, you know, I think where you really shine is when you talk about your your whole body of work as a baseball fan. And with that in mind, what I want to ask you is, who was the best Yankee of your childhood? And I think I know who you're going to say. And what was the best Yankee moment of your childhood? And I think I know what you're going to say. So you probably aren't going to get the first one right, but you'll get the second one right. Uh, the best Yankees of my childhood were not necessarily my favorite Yankees. So I think... Ron Guidry was one of the best Yankees of my childhood. I think the late Thurman Munson was one of the best Yankees of my childhood. What I think you thought I might say is Greg Nettles, yep. who was probably my favorite player, number nine, uh, as a kid. And he was he was great, but uh, not nearly as great as Munson and Guidry. And one thing I'll point out when I complain about Gary Sanchez, Thurman Munson did an awful lot offensively. Mm -hmm. No, that's that's absolutely true. Thurman Munson was producing at Hall of Fame levels for his whole career, and that's uh, not a lot of guys do that, even in you know short careers as catchers, and even shorter, obviously, in Thurman Munson's case. I did think you were going to say Greg Nettles, who, of course, belongs in the Hall of Fame. If later on you want to just make that pitch to the Veterans Committee, happy to provide you with that platform. Um, I moment. Yes, yeah. So we're we're gonna we're gonna move on to the best Yankee moment of your childhood. Um, I thought I knew what you were going to say. I'm now debating between two. Um, so I'm interested in what you have for us here. And, and you know what both of them are. So the probably the orthodox answer is Reggie Jackson's three home runs on three pitches, which was fantastic. And I do remember seeing that as a kid. But to me, the best moment was the Bucky Dent home run. And the reason the best moment was the Bucky Dent home run is that was an afternoon game uh, on a weekday. I was in school. I was daydreaming about going home and seeing that game the whole day. And it was an exceptionally exciting game. And obviously it came out the right way. To me, that probably was the best moment of my childhood. And obviously it wasn't even in a playoff game. And, you know, that's that's something that you and I discuss a lot is are there too many baseball teams? Are there too many rounds of the playoffs? Are there too many playoff games? And that game's a perfect example of you know, when you make the postseason really exclusive, you can create some incredible moments. So that's obviously, you know, one of the coolest moments in Yankees history. Very cool that it's something that you got to catch live. So um, this 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 next one might be a tough question for you. Um, but how is baseball better today than it was when you were, you know, my age or even younger? I don't think there are a lot of things in baseball that are better, but a few things are. Number one, the players are much more athletes than they were when I was a kid. Number two, the stats, the analytics, the way you watch a game and the information that you get in a game are monumentally better. You know, it used to be a big deal when they had a radar gun. Wow, imagine that. We can tell you how fast a pitch is going to go. And now, obviously, you have exit velocity and, and uh, all kinds of detailed stats. And that's a lot better. You know I don't like interleague play. You know I don't like monkeying around with the baseball. You know I don't like cheating. And uh, obviously, all of those things are things that are part of the current game that I really don't like. And that's a perfect segue into our next question. And I know you've thought a lot about this one. Tomorrow, you get a call from Major League Baseball. They say, Dad, and you say, Will? <laughs> and they say, no. Um, but then they tell you that you're going to be commissioner for a year. You basically get carte blanche to do whatever you want. We'll say you can do away with dealing with the unions. 
you're commissioner for a year. How does baseball look and what are the major differences in the way baseball looks when you leave office? That's a really good question. And if I had that kind of wish list, it would be a fantastic opportunity for me. The first thing is you didn't point this out, but Rob Manfred is a lawyer and and so am I. And I'm not for lawyers being in charge of baseball and for baseball people being in charge of baseball. But here's how baseball would be different. Number one, no one with the name Manfred could ever be commissioner. (laughs) That would be one of my rules. And so you'd never see Rob Manfred again. Number two, I would crack down on cheating in a way that you've never seen in baseball or change the rules. Baseball is, is the, the best example of a place that honors rules in the breach uh, of any kind of organized operation you can find. Don't have rules that prohibit things and then openly allow people to cheat It's ridiculous. If you want to let people put things on the ball when they're pitching, let them put things on the ball. Legislate the things that you can put on the ball and then enforce it. Uh, So I would would crack down on cheating. I wouldn't put guys on second base in extra innings. I wouldn't expand the playoffs. and And I wouldn't monkey around with the baseball. We would have one baseball. That's what we'd we'd use. And I wouldn't get surprised or allegedly surprised when my baseball supplier delivers me baseballs and then say, oh, geez, these weren't the baseballs I wanted. I guess we'll have to use them. Now that, I mean, that's, that's, that's an immaculate take. That's, that's not a dad take. It's not a bad take. That take is, is phenomenal. And, um, you know, I think there's a lot, a lot of us who would benefit from you being commissioner for a year. Uh, I hope you'd take away the Astros World Series um, as as that was a glaring mistake by Rob Manfred. I appreciate that you wouldn't do any of the stupid extra inning rules. We've had enough of that. Um, we don't need expanded playoffs. I think five teams is certainly enough. There may even be merits to there being fewer. I'm not quite sold on that, but I know you are. Um, I think I think we could... We could uh, really benefit from your commissionership. Now, I know you don't want them to monkey around with the baseball, but we know they have been monkeying around with the baseball and then lying to us about whether or not they were. So last couple of years, we had the rocket ball. Now we have the dead and ball. Pick one. If I had to pick one, I'd pick the rocket ball for obvious reasons. Uh, but I think we ought to have a single ball that's a consistent ball, and it's not the rocket ball or the deadened ball. It, it's somewhere in between where check swings don't go over the fence, but also massive drives don't end up on the warning track. I can appreciate that. I'm team rocket ball because uh, chicks dig the long ball. Right. Um, now, I think we're, we're about to enter serious dad take territory common refrain from Yankees fans, especially Yankees fans, you know, of the generation older than Alec and I, or of your generation. Um, they like to say if George Steinbrenner were alive and then, you know, some kind of wild fantasy, uh, you know, normally pertaining to like a player who's nearly retired, um, or a player who is retired or a player who's awful, who used to be good, Um, Like, I'm convinced that there's someone out there on Twitter saying if George Steinbrenner were alive, the Yankees would have Albert Pujols and Josh Beckett. Um, So what's what's one if George Steinbrenner were alive that you can give our audience? Well, I may have even said this, but if George Steinbrenner were alive, he wouldn't stand for the performance that we're seeing out of the Yankees this week. And he wouldn't know that his center fielder, his starting center fielder, was out for the season and not do anything about it. You would hear Steinbrenner talking, and believe me, I lived through a lot of times when Steinbrenner talking wasn't a good thing. But the way the Yankees close the ranks and people don't talk, and it's this star chamber where you don't know what you're doing, you don't know who's injured, you don't know if they're really injured, you don't know how badly they're injured, uh, that's no good either. The Yankees need a center fielder, and they need to go onto the market and get one. And I'd ask you this, Will, because I really don't know the answer to this question. When was the last time, besides Garrett Cole, that the Yankees went out and got a big-name free agent? I mean, it depends on your definition of big-name free agent, of course. Um, 
Aroldis Chapman was a big name free agent when they brought him back after uh, he won the World Series with the Cubs. Um, Masahiro Tanaka was a, a big time free agent. He was widely sought after, but as far as someone on the order of what I understand you to be talking about, um, you know, you may have to go back to the off season of CC Sabathia, AJ Burnett and Mark Teixeira before the 09 team. And we all know what they ended up doing. So, um, yeah, I mean, you've expressed to me that if George Steinbrenner were alive, Mike Trout would be on the Yankees. And I'm not sure that you're wrong. Um, so every week, uh, Whipple and I finish the podcast by rating our confidence in the Yankees out of 10. And uh, we're going to have our penultimate dad take or bad take question for you just to be to give us your confidence in this team. You can rate it out of 10 if you'd like and your expectations for this team. And this is the place where I don't think you'll like the take because I'm not very confident in this team. This team loses to bad teams. A lot of times they rise to the occasion when they were playing good teams, and we're going to find out when they play the Rays how consistent that is. But they lose to bad teams, and I'm just not confident that these guys, when they get to the playoffs, will actually take it to the best teams. So my... Defining confidence as success in the playoffs, I would say I'm about 60% confident in this team. I thought he was going to say the Yankees are going to miss the playoffs, so I consider this to be uh, an absolute win. Um, That's like, really, you guys out there, he was telling me earlier in the year that they were going to lose 90 games. Um, So the fact that I thought this was going to be the dad take to end all dad takes. I don't think we've had that many dad takes in this episode, and we uh, we've hardly had a bad take. Um, I'm I'm surprised. I'm frankly I'm floored. This is this is great. I think I might have taught you a little more than I thought I did. I'll, I'll be happy to take credit for this. And dad, I know this is the the part of the podcast that you've been waiting for. I just want to give you the floor to fire off some takes. Great. Thank you, Will. Okay, so here are some takes in no particular order. First take, Sanchez's bat is too short. Take a look at it when he's at the plate. His bat looks short. Next take, I really think the Yankees are inexcusably brittle. This is a team that perennially has injuries among their best players and they've got to figure out a fitness regimen that's going to get people through the season reasonably. Every team has injuries, but if anyone on this team, even the biggest, strongest guy played one down of football, they'd be in the hospital. Uh, and, and my last, I have two more takes. The first take you mentioned it before is Uh, letting the Astros have the World Series trophy. It's an abomination. We talked for 100 years about the Black Sox scandal, and the the Astros did something that is orders of magnitude worse than that, and for baseball not to respond is just an embarrassment. And I said at the outset, I'm kind of a casual fan. Baseball is losing casual fans by pulling stunts like this, by messing around with the baseball, by having awful umpires, by having an electronic strike zone but not using it, by using replay for some plays but not for balls and strikes. Baseball really can't get out of their own way. Uh, And uh, my last uh, take is really that, and I think I said this before, we we got to get a we got to get a center fielder somebody who can deliver on offense who's going to stabilize this team. Well, Dad, I'm glad that we gave you the floor to fire off those takes. Um, there may have been a dad take in there, although you were mad at Major League Baseball for alienating their fans. You were mad about the Astros cheating. You said that the Yankees need an outfielder. The Gary Sanchez is bad is too short thing is like the dad take to end all dad takes, but could be right. Um, I I really think that you did a great job with this. Uh, I'm glad that we had you on. I hope we'll do this again soon. I think you were, you know, of the of the two guests we could have had for 
the inaugural edition of Dad Take or Bad Take. I think you were easily in the top two. Um, and I really appreciate you coming on. I hope we'll do this again soon. Sounds great. Thanks, Will. And we are back. Dad Take or Bad Take, one of my favorite recurring segments of ours, uh, once it starts recurring at least. Um, Doug Whipple, come on the pod. Doug Whipple, come on the pod. You're on the clock. Come on the pod. Uh, We know you're listening. We do know he's listening. Um, So please come on the pod. It'll be great to listen to your takes. Um, I I thought my dad did pretty nicely. Uh, You know, he... The takes I get from him when we're watching games together are a little more dad takey than uh than the takes he offered today but i'm proud of him so whipple i finished up my interview with my dad with uh with our fan confidence segment um he didn't answer it exactly the way that we normally answer it but he gave an answer um where are you with fan confidence after this one in five week going into a week in which they're going to face the rays and red sox well, I don't think it needs to be said how important of a week this is. And um, I think I think we've talked a lot about, you know, we don't know what this team is looking like until they face the Red Sox. The Rays now have jumped the Red Sox. So I think we can also amend that to we know what they look like when they face the Rays. But this four game series is very important. And we really don't know which team Yankees team is going to show up on uh, Monday afternoon. So. I'm going to amend mine. I was an 8.5 last week. I'm going down to a 7.5. It, it was a tough week for the Yankees. They went backwards in a lot of areas. I think last week I said the pitching needs to stay the same and the hitting needs to get better. This week the pitching got worse and the hitting got worse than worse. So, But the, 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 thing, the thing that matters in the end, the bottom line, is that no matter what happened this week, this week could be season-defining. I don't think you're going to win the division in June, but you very well could lose it. Um, if they have a week like they had last week, they're going to be eight, nine games back in the division. And that's not impossible to overcome, but it gets really hard to make up those games. So the good news is that they have an opportunity to put their the troubles of the last week away pretty quickly. If they have a good week, no one's going to be talking about the Tiger series. Um, if they don't have a good week, they're going to be in trouble. And it starts, as we have hammered on multiple times in this podcast, they're going to have to hit. Um, no matter how well they pitch, they're going to have to hit off of Rays and Red Sox pitchers. So it's going to be a test. Um, and I think my fan confidence score will really vary next week. I think if they do well this week, it's going to shoot up. And I think if they do poorly next week, it's going to shoot down because this is the season. I mean, this is who they're going to have to beat to win the division and make it to the playoffs. So we're in June. It's not early anymore. It's time to win some games. You know, Whipple, I... Uh... I agree. They they just need to play better. That's all there is to it. And this is a roster of guys who are all, you know, who all have the ability to be really good. If there had been an all-star team last year, Gio Urshela would have been on it. Aaron Judge has a top two MVP finish. DJ LeMahieu has a top three MVP finish. Giancarlo Stanton's won the MVP. Glaber Torres is a multiple-time All-Star. Miguel Andujar almost won Rookie of the Year against Shohei Otani. Um, you know, Clint Frazier has produced at a very good level for much of his career. Gary Sanchez is a two-time All-Star. Garrett Cole's the best pitcher in the league. Domingo Herman led the Yankees in wins, almost led the league in wins in 2019. Uh, we've seen Jordan Montgomery pitch incredibly well. Jamison Tyone has had two phenomenal full seasons. Um, you know, there's no reason for this team not to be great, and we just need them to find it. Um, now, you said they need to hit, and unlike most weeks, I'm going to be the more confident one. I was at an 8.5 last week for my confidence. I'm going to be at an 8 this week. Gary Sanchez hitting 500 in his last four games. Clint Frazier hitting 303 with a 748 OPS, which is pretty strong since May 16th. Miguel Andujar, since May 20th, is hitting 300. Um, you know, we know how good Aaron Judge is. We know that Stanton is bound to find it. I like Stanton to hit a couple of big home runs in this series, really just mash against the Rays and Red Sox. I like to see Judge continue his consistent play. I like to see Clint Frazier starting to break out. I like to see Garrett Cole and the boys shoving. You know, I'm only going down to 8.5, or to 8. I'm not letting myself overreact to this week. I still have 
as high hopes as possible for this team. And I just look at these guys and I see a bunch of players that I absolutely love. And I can't bring myself to think that they're going to do poorly. I'm at an eight. Yeah, I mean, I think that's um, that, that's the bottom line. The guys are there and there might be injuries, but there's a very talented collection of guys on this field. And they have an opportunity to prove themselves this week. And we know they're capable of doing it. So let's go hit some dingers and let's just show Tampa that they're not as good as they played in the last few weeks and you know, make it make it a division race here. Yeah, it's it, this is a statement week, and the Yankees are going to make a statement. We'll have it all at yankeesfiles.com. Rays series preview is up. We'll have some exciting posts in the middle of the week. You'll have a Rays recap on Thursday. We'll preview the Red Sox series on Friday, and we'll be back recording on Sunday night after the Yankees go 7-0 and this week and take the lead in the division. I'm putting it out into the universe. Make it happen, boys. Let's go Yankees. Yeah, I mean, if you can if you can will that to happen and I can will Corey Kluber to throw a no-hitter, I think we're capable of pretty much anything. So I'm, I'm there for it. This is, this is the week that the season becomes real. Most powerful blog on the internet, yankeesfiles.com, at Yankees Files on Twitter, Yankees Files Podcast, wherever you get your podcasts. Let's go.